Hi everyone,、uh, this is Sebastian and Anna, and we are from Computomics. We are a startup from Germany that's developing very innovative solutions for global food challenges. We find ourselves talking often about statistics, machine learning, agriculture, and breeding challenges, and we thought this would be a great platform to bring that conversation to、um, to our clients and to the people that we work with in the greater community to engage others working on similar challenges and to share some of our lessons learned. So everyone. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We know that these are uncertain times, and we think that in these uncertain times, startups have a unique capability to drive change, to drive timely change, to drive creative change. And companies like Computomics were founded with the mission of solving global challenges. And although the challenges we're facing today are Different than the challenges that were our founding mission, we believe that the technology and innovation behind startups can make a difference.、Um, and just as an introduction, I thought maybe Sebastian, in your own words, you could tell us why、uh, Computomics was founded. Yeah, of course.、Um, Computomics is really a startup that was created by、uh, the idea of bringing. Machine learning discoveries directly to biotech applications to farmers and breeders、uh, who are working with biological data every day, and our idea was to use all of the information that we had gathered, all of the、um, methods that we had created, and start a company that offers this as a service. Yeah, thanks.、Um, I know that that mission of helping breeders and farmers and solving global food challenges is something that drives us every single day. It means a lot to us. Can you also delve a little bit more into what is machine learning? Yeah, machine learning is、um, basically a technique、uh, that you can use to work with large data sets. We have、um, pattern recognition, which is the Principle on which、uh, machine learning is based. So you have an input data set, and you're trying to find a certain pattern within it that you can recognize and recognize over and over again, in order to categorize or to rate、uh, a certain type of input. And、um, many people know machine learning from image recognition. So、um, there's a lot of talk about autonomous cars,、um, people working with Um, face recognition. Many of your phones will have that already, and that's basically a machine learning tool being trained to recognize a certain pattern.、Uh, for example,、um, a street,、uh, street signs, and so on, in order to allow a car to drive. And、um, these、uh, pattern recognition algorithms can also be used on biological data. And、um, what machine learning really does is try to find the best model for all of the available. Data that it has available for training, and、um, not only identifies simple correlations, but really higher-order correlations like nonlinear relationships between、uh, two patterns. For example, two or three things always occurring at the same time, and、um, in a specific configuration. So that's、um, what makes machine learning a uniquely powerful tool for analyzing also biological data. Yeah, and since you mentioned biological data, and you also mentioned autonomous cars and things like that, 
can you give us an explanation of why maybe biological data is lagging behind these other machine learning capabilities and why now is the right time to bring machine learning applications to biology and biological data sets and sort of um, how those two have finally come together? Yeah, that's a great question because um, we have been using machine learning in biology for quite a while, but um, what most methods in machine learning really need is very large data sets. And only in recent years through um, high throughput sequencing and um, proteomics and other techniques where really large data sets uh, start to accumulate, can you actually have the kinds of sizes of data sets where machine learning makes sense? When in image recognition, it's fairly easy to have hundreds of thousands of images of uh, an elephant, for example, and you can start training an algorithm to recognize this shape. And um, then when you look deeper um, to see what does it actually recognize, sometimes it's just the um, color or pattern of the skin, for example, that elephants all have. And as soon as you change, for example, the uh, um, skin of that elephant into the coat of a zebra, uh, into that fur, it no longer will be recognized by this algorithm. So you have to be very careful what you train it for. You have to have a large enough data set and you have to actually ask the right questions. And in biology, you can immediately see whether that is the case because you often have experiments that can verify a certain claim in that the machine learning algorithm is going to make. And so the image analysis challenge is certainly one of the important ones in machine learning. At Computomics, we're focusing on data sets that come from other sources like DNA sequencing, uh, from phenotyping, from breeding, for example, plant breeding, and from microbiome data sets. And what makes our flavor of machine learning unique, uh, the one that we use at Computomics, is that it does allow for interpretations, so it's not a black box. And it allows for visualizations, so you can immediately see uh, what the biological underlying answer could be, because those often give you additional hints and things to further develop maybe your breeding program into or to identify which microbe plays a crucial role in a, in a kind of um, metabolic pathway, for example. Great. So it sounds like uh, these applications are really suitable to a lot of different aspects of biology. Um, as you mentioned, breeding, microbiome, interactions of various kinds, um, visualizations, image analysis of various kinds. Um, and I assume there's, of course, other companies also applying this to health data, human data. Yeah, so a lot of different and exciting topics. Um, right. To so discuss. many companies, many companies really identify uh, with, of course, um, human data, with um, data about uh, different diseases or so. They really want to uh, focus on these kinds of things. We started out with uh, very large scale data sets from for example, plant breeding, um, where many genomes have to be compared to each other because there's so much variety in many of the uh, plants that we eat um, because we've been breeding them for the last 10,000 years or so. And um, that's where a lot of uh, the data comes from that we work with. Right. Um, but some of our projects are also more relevant for today's global challenges that deal with uh, disease and pathogens and things like this. So maybe you can give us a quick introduction to our Pantograph viewer, uh, which we will 
discuss in more detail in next week's podcast and you can just give us an overview. Sure, yeah. Um, so we started the Pantograph project about two years ago. The idea is that um, we are comparing all of the different genomes from one species uh, that have been observed so far. Uh, this has been done um, for humans, um, where we can then observe uh, areas in our genomes where we differ, but really in 99%, um, even more uh, areas, our genomes are exactly identical. And um, that means that uh, we all can fall uh, susceptible to the same diseases, for example. Um, we can all um, have uh, coronavirus, for example. So um, that is something that will immediately um, uh, be able to infect all of us. Um, such a global pandemic is therefore um, expected to occur uh, at certain intervals. Um, and it's similar in, in plants as well. There's um, a lot of monoculture out there that means that as soon as one um, insect or so figures out a way to uh, eat a certain um, plant that we grow millions of, uh, it will have a very good time um, on those fields being able to uh, yeah, really spread without any control. So um, whenever you have this kind of... Um, very uh, dense population of the same uh, genome almost, um, you have to look at uh, potentially the pathogen uh, to identify ways of defending yourself against it because everyone else is just the same. So um, there is no real way of identifying resistances in ourselves. We have to defend ourselves against the pathogen. And the pan genome browser or pantograph browser is... Um, such a way of observing a pathogen, um, looking at its genome, at its different variations, and see them all at the same time. So what we're able to do is for researchers to really show them exactly which of these um, different versions, different variants of the virus, um, where they differ, and then order them, for example, by symptoms. If we know that uh, someone who had this version of the virus had a certain symptom, we'd be able to correlate that with its genome and then order them, uh, order all of the genomes that we have so far. And the dude in the UK, for example, is undertaking effort. And to use that data, effectively, uh, we are proposing to really put together a um, set of these um, genomes so that they can be compared, for example, by symptom or uh, all of these um, genomes together might have uh, an area where they don't differ from each other and where we could produce a vaccine that can recognize the virus by this area and therefore uh, we'd be able to defend against it. Great. Thanks so much for that explanation. And we'll be talking about that on our next podcast with one of our analysts and one of the leaders of the uh, Pantograph. So thanks for your time today, Sebastian. And I look forward to sharing more information and getting um, more out there. So thanks, Anna. Thanks. Me too. Mm, bye. bye.
So thanks everyone for listening to our first episode. Please go to computomics.com to learn more about us and stay tuned for next week when you can learn more about our pantograph project and our efforts to fight COVID.